I know it sounds like false humility, but I just cannot believe on Sunday morning that you normal, ordinary people would get up and, and go through all the trouble to come here to listen to anything that I might have to say. It's just amazing. When I think about Larry's teaching, I think of freedom. Freedom from trying to do the impossible. Freedom from trying to earn favor with God by doing stuff. Freedom from thinking that following made-up rules and traditions is in any way pleasing to God. Freedom to truly rest in the absolute certainty of the finished work of Christ on the cross. Freedom to know that the mountain of law is no hiding place. The truths I've come to know through Larry's teaching have truly changed my life, and I will forever be grateful for them. Welcome to the Timeless Gospel Podcast. I'm your host, Faith Ann, and Larry Horton was my dad. The deepest connection I had with my dad was through his teaching of the gospel. My dad communicated grace more deeply and simply than most. These sermons came to be preserved through my dear Aunt Shirley, who, in the early 80s, requested that my dad's sermons be recorded on cassette tapes and mailed to her so that she could be edified from five states away. When Larry died and went home to be with the Lord in 2019, my Aunt Shirley came to the funeral and brought with her the very sermons this podcast was created to showcase. The remaining sermons were preached in the early 2000s at the church he pastored until he died. His children's prayer is that you will come to Christ through these sermons, or, if you already are a Christian, be edified as so many were during his life. In episode two of The Timeless Gospel, Larry begins his Roman study. Hear Larry preach on the first seven verses of chapter one, then stick around as I talk with Daniel, Larry's son-in-law and protege, to hear the heartwarming story of Larry and Daniel's relationship, from Daniel's first introduction to Larry, to how Larry's teaching influences Daniel today, as Daniel preaches from the same pulpit each week that Larry occupied for decades. I have a bit of a disclaimer before I begin Larry's sermon. The quality of the audio from this sermon is not as crisp as the audio from episode one. The audio from the discussion portion of the podcast immediately following the sermon, however, is not affected, and it sounds great. Set apart the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was born of a descendant of David, according to the flesh, who was declared son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. Parenthetical expression to be found in any sentence, and if you were to take it out of the sentence, the sentence still makes sense. Uh, the, the one I use is, uh, 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 I'm going to the grocery store uh, to buy bread. That's the sentence. I'm going to the grocery store, comma, uh, after I buy my new car, comma, to buy bread. If you take out after I buy my new car, you still have the, the crux of the sentence. I'm going to the grocery store to buy bread. Here it's two is a parenthetical expression. We have Paul, a bond servant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, comma, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, Comma, concerning his son who was born of a descendant of David. So this morning, we're going to look at this. We're going to go back to, uh, maybe this morning, but probably next week, we're going to go back to verse 2 and look at the parenthetical expression. But for, for the purpose this morning, we're going to read this. Paul apostle of Christ Jesus, Paul is an apostle, set apart the gospel of God concerning his son who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh. That's what we're going to look at this morning. 
Paul, we know who Paul was. Uh, no problem there. Uh, chief sinners, uh, he was so bigoted in his uh, religious beliefs that he felt that uh, everyone that didn't believe what he did should die. And he went about to perform that very act. He had all the authority. He was uh, not only just a, a religious scholar, but he was also an attorney. He had uh, was a member of the Sanhedrin, uh, which in that day was a lot different than in our day. If you find a doctor of theology graduating from uh, Westminster uh, Seminary, Seminary, he would be one important young man, old man. And then if you find a Supreme Court justice, he would be another very important man. Supreme Court justice may know nothing of theology. And the, the, the theologians in Westminster may know nothing about the law. But, but nevertheless, the two are very important. For Paul, his life from the time he was 12 years old was one of becoming Supreme Court justice and a theologian all at the same time. So he was a brilliant scholar. He knew the law. He knew the Old Testament. And we know his conversion experience. And now he is going about to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And we read the very first verse, Paul, sponsor, call, sponsor of the Christ Jesus, called as an apostle. How much different Paul writes and thinks than I would write and think. I would want to say, Larry, an apostle of Jesus Christ, uh, called as a sponsor maybe. But I want you to know, first of all, that I was an apostle. Secondly, maybe I'd say I was a slave, but Paul's thinking he was first and foremost the greatest name he gives off was a bond slave. Paul, a bond slave of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle. Okay, students, what's a what's bond slave? Okay, that's excellent. In in uh, in the Hebrew economy, way back there, Deuteronomy, God gave the law, and it was this way. Let's say that uh, that I'll Donman. And I owe him $2,000. And I can't pay him. Under the law of God, him being a Hebrew, me being a Hebrew, both of us under the law of God, then I would become his slave. But I would only become his slave for seven years. And really not even seven years. Every seven years, all debts were forgiven. So if I were, if it, it would be going along for four years, and then I owed him the money, not only be a slave for three years, because every seven years, all the slaves were free. Children, money. This is not talking about Gentiles. It's talking about those of the same uh, Hebrew uh, persuasion. For the proselytes are, are real Hebrews. Now, the thing about it is, if I become Don's slave, that's fine. No problem there. He's got to let me go in seven years, and that's fine. Now, if I bring my wife with me, then... My wife and I are his slaves, and he's got to let us both go at the end of seven years. But if he wants to give me a wife, he can do so. And at the end of seven years, I can go out free. My wife and my children have to stay with Don. So a, bond, a true bond slave is one who did not want to go out. He, his master his master would treated him better than he could live his own life. And his master owned his wife and his children. So Paul is saying, uh, a bond slave of Christ Jesus, I'm, I'm willing, I, I'm, the rest of my life, I want to be his slave because he is my master. My family is with him. Everything I love, everything I'm adhered to is with him. I cannot live my own life. I get myself in more trouble. So I'm just going to let this man lead me. And they would take him down to the, the synagogue there and run it off with their ear so that that would be 
uh, when, when people would see you out in the community, it would bring glory to your master because they would know that whoever your master was was one whom you want to spend the rest of your life. Now, we see that in uh, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 21. I think I might be wrong about that. Let's see. I haven't written down anymore. Let's try. Uh, let's try. Uh, that, that can't be right. Let's try numbers. It's back here somewhere. No. Exodus 21. Now, these are the ordinances which you are to set before them. If by a Hebrew slave, he shall serve for six years. But on the seventh, he shall go out as a free man without payment. If he comes alone, he shall go out alone. If he is the husband of a wife, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master gives him a wife, and she bears him sons and daughters, the wife and her children shall belong to her master, and he shall go out alone. But if the slave plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out as a free man. Then his master shall bring him to God. <clears throat> then he shall bring him to the door of the doorpost, and his master shall pierce his ear with an awl, and he shall serve him permanently. Now, this is just one occasion where it's written. There are other occasions in the Old Testament where it, uh, God gives uh, instructions on how to deal with his bond slaves. And uh, that was just one of the uh, passages. We can look at all of it. Pretty much bear out what I just said. But that's Paul's thinking. He was a bond slave. Paul, a bond servant, bond slave of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle. Uh, we're We'll come back to that. Set apart or separated from the gospel of God. We have been, and Paul was, we have been set apart from the gospel of God. Christians are those who have been set apart. Uh, we have been separated. Unfortunately, we get it in our in our heads that, that we've been separated. By being separated, means we just pump a lot of things out of our life. I've become a Christian, therefore I don't do this, I don't do this, I don't do this, and I don't do this. And even nature affords a vacuum, as we've all been told. Uh, I, get, I get around these people, and, and they, they just, you know, they're, they're so tight, structured, and they don't do this, and they don't do this, don't do that, they don't, you know, all these things. They, I want to go out and do the very things they don't do, just as a kind of reaction or something. And yet there are other people that I'm around who kind of draw me to them, uh, they don't tell me all of what they don't do or what they do. You just kind of expect them to walk kind of on a on higher plane somehow. You just don't expect them to do do bad things. They've been separated to the gospel of God. You can't be separated from something unless you've been separated unto something else. It just won't work. And unfortunately, we're all trying to separate ourselves from the world without without being separated unto Christ. Uh, I've told this in the story before, but I'll tell it again. I used to be the greatest marble player, I think, in Oklahoma. Teachers used to come out and watch me play marbles at recess. I'm so good. I remember one time at Shawnee, I was in second grade, and a uh, young man came over, and I beat him out of all of his marbles. And a short time later, an hour or two later, his dad came knocking on the door, and he wanted to know if Willard was home. And I said, yes, I was. And he said, well, come on out, son. We want to play some more marbles. So he took me across the street, drew a circle, and he brought his great big bag of marbles, brand new marbles. We went out, and I beat the dad out of all of his marbles. He was trying to, to get his son's marbles back. Uh, I remember uh, even after uh, the, the school had said it was 
now illegal to play marbles for keeps. That I would stay after recess. The bell had already rang, and I'd have a whole bunch of people around me, watch me, including uh, teachers, uh, playing marbles. I don't play marbles anymore. I haven't played marbles in years. Why is that? It's not because someday I decided I am now too big to play marbles. Therefore, I will never play marbles again. I can't ever remember saying I will never play marbles again. What happened was I, I remember the very moment it happened. I was playing in my front yard. I was playing holes with marbles. It's a, it's a game you play with marbles. And Billy Homer and Jerry Ferguson, a couple of boys, older boys, came by and said, hey, Larry, you want to come play baseball with us? And I said, yeah. And so I went out and I played baseball with them. And from that day on, I was a baseball player. I was no longer a marble player. I was separated unto baseball. It is a real significance here. If, we, if we're trying to live our life separated from the world, uh, especially with all the preaching going on today about Satan, and we're trying to fight Satan and hold Satan at bay, uh, still not playing marbles. But if we could learn that the glory of our nation Christ and who he says we are, just not playing marbles, but we're out playing baseball. Now, I'd like to give you the, the Greek here, and this is going to be fun for me, because I've known this Greek word for 15 years, but I've never understood it until I felt this. This Greek word that's uh, the King James put separated and in, in New American Standard says set apart is the, the, the body of the word is horizo. And that sounds a little bit like horizon, doesn't it? The English translation of horizo is horizon. And the prefix on the front part of horizon is off horizon. So the word here, the Greek, is off horizon. Now, in, in the translation that the translators have used to separate it or set apart is off horizon. And, and, and very literally, Paul is saying, Paul, a bond servant of Christ Jesus, Paul is an apostle, off horizon. God, what in the world does it mean by off horizon? horizon we went to seattle john and i went out fishing and uh, we went out in the ocean and we went 21 miles out to sea it was a rough rough day about half the boat got sick real sick i had taken all the pills that that i was supposed to take and of course the others did too Phil did seem to help them but going out there i was uh and I, I, I was able to sleep a little bit. It took us two hours. So I don't know it took us two hours to get out to where the fish were. So I slept a good part of that two hours. Then I got up to fish. By the time I started fishing, half the boat was already sick. They just bombed in everywhere. And, and it's all I could do to hold down not getting sick. And then the boat was going up, down, way, way up, way, way down. And I was having to, you know, station my, my legs. And by the end of the day, three o'clock, I was wore completely out. And, and my legs were wore completely out. I've, all day, I've, I've been trying to get sick and just barely not make it. Plus the fact I didn't catch a fish. Not one fish did I catch. Well, we started back in. Now, we could have gotten, I could have gotten inside the cabin and, got, and, and been warm. It started to rain. It was real misty. And it was real cold and miserable out there on that in front of that boat. I got back in the, uh, or I could have gone back in where it was warm in the cabin, 
But boy, you get back in there and it's really bad. Everything just like that. The cups, the saucers, the stove, everything was real bad. And I could spend five minutes in that cabin. I knew I'd get sick. My son was sick. And all I wanted was my son to get off that boat. And secondly, I wanted off that boat. And I looked around and all that I could see is nothing but water. That's all there was. We're 21 miles out to sea. And we quit fishing. We're on our way home. And I knew it took us two hours to get out there. It's going to take two hours to get back. And there I was with my son on the front of this boat. Nobody else there. Everybody else was either sick down in there or the macho guys. They could be in the cabin without getting sick. But I knew that I could. There I was out there, cold, miserable, fishless. And my son there with me. And we were, we just went off that boat. And we drove and drove and drove. And I'd look at my watch about every five minutes. It seemed like it was a half hour gone by. And I look, it's five minutes later. We were, oh, I was just miserable trying to get off that boat. Finally, finally, after a long, long time of being extremely miserable, I look off and in the horizon, I see buildings and I see land. And I am overjoyed. Finally, I'm going to get my son off this boat. And I'm going to be able to get off this boat before filling up the up in size. That was the horizon. I, I that's where I wanted to be. Paul is saying that's what that's what he has done. He has been off horizon. He has been placed in a brand new horizon. Not this world we were in, but salvation is one of the way over here in this other horizon. And, and it came true to me. I've known that for. For 15 years, what all provisions meant, but it never was practical to me to be fishing in. There wasn't anything in the world I wanted more than being over there on that other horizon. And so uh, that's what the Greek is saying here. We have been separated. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart the gospel of God. Now, what is the gospel of God? The gospel of God is concerning his son. We miss this. We miss this. We, we feel that we're, we're preachers of everything seems like but his son. There's no such thing as a gospel quartet. There's no gospel in the quartet. There may be four people who are singing that's a quartet, and they may be singing something concerning the gospel, maybe. But the gospel is concerning his son. Preach about heaven and not preach the gospel. We can preach about hell and not preach the gospel. We can preach about Christian living and not preach the gospel. We can preach about spiritual gifts. We can preach about the church government. We can preach about husbands and wives and, and uh, fathers and daughters and fathers and children. And all this we're doing and we're still not preaching the gospel. The gospel is concerning Jesus Christ. Now you're preaching the gospel. Who was Jesus Christ? What did he do? And the most important question of all is, why did he do it? If you know those three questions, you know half of the gospel. Who is Jesus Christ? And, and, and the, the world does not know. Even this religious world does not know who Jesus was. What did he do? They've got some idea of what he did, but very, a very, very minor idea of what he did. And why he did it, they have no idea whatsoever. They have no clue. 
They think he did it for us. They think that Christ came down here and died so that I could go to heaven. And that's secondary to his mission. That is not why he came. And why he came and what he did and why he did it leads us into the second part of what the gospel is. We find that over in Romans chapter, where is it? It's got to be chapter 3. Uh, Romans chapter 3. Let's try verse 26. Yes, that's it. Verse 26. Let's go to verse uh, 24. Being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God he passed over the sins previously committed. For the for the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has spoken Jesus. Who is Jesus Christ? What did he do? And why did he do it? The, the why he did it leads you into God is able to be just and justify the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. How is it that the Holy God, God Almighty, God, the God that's full of wrath, the God that's full of righteousness, and, and the God that, that's full of hate, could possibly love me? How can that be? And, and once you start explaining how that can be, you're explaining the gospel. That Christ came and paid the debt for me, that, that Christ's righteousness has been imputed to me, illustrated in Abraham and David. We're going to get into all of that. So the gospel is Jesus Christ. It's not heaven. It's not hell. It's not politics. It is concerning the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Who was born a descendant of David according to the flesh, Jesus Christ was a man. Now we're going to get into an area that I know nothing about. I believe it. I do not understand it. Anyone that claims to understand it, I, I'd like to I'd like to know more about it because I, I, there's no way I can comprehend it. not a little mind. But God Almighty was a man. And this man was God Almighty. And as, a, as God, God was born a man. That's, that's impossible to comprehend. But it says here in Scripture that he was born a descendant of David according to the flesh who was declared Son of God. Christ is Son of God. Christ is God one. How do we know that? How can we prove it? Because of the resurrection. He, he was raised from the dead according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. So now we get a brief, very brief uh, introduction into uh, what, what Paul is about. Reading it again, Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called on the very first paragraph, the very first verse of Romans, immediately we come into the sovereignty of God. Paul was called. He was separated. He was separated and called. And in fact, it says in Galatians, uh, let's turn to Galatians chapter 1. 
after 2 Corinthians. Galatians chapter 1, verse 15. But when he who has set me apart, but when he who knew horizons me, even from my mother's womb, and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son, not to me, but in me. Paul had been separated from his mother's womb to, to preach the gospel. How can that be? He went around killing Christians. All the Christians of his day were afraid of him. And yet, all of his learning of the, of the law and, and all, of, all that he did, his, his background, being born of the tribe of Benjamin, all these different things, uh, his lifestyle uh, went on until he was 40 years old. He lived this life for 40 years. And yet scripture says that, that God had separated him from his mother's womb to preach the gospel. Showing that God is sovereign. The word call here doesn't mean like we call our kids for lunch or for dinner. Uh, John, John, please come home. Or John, come home. That really, does, we don't know if that's going to work or not. But when the word call here is very a very uh, prominent word, he, God called him. It, it's a very strong word. God insisted. God called. God predetermined. God called Paul. And it wasn't just Paul, Jeremiah, Jacob, Samson, Samuel, John the Baptist. Scriptures talk about all these men being separate. Uh, Jeremiah, well, while he was still in the womb of his mother, uh, God called him to preach. And others. So here we have here, Paul was Paul. He, he understood the sovereignty of God immediately. On the very first, he wants to get that settled right now on his very first verse. I didn't do any of this. God called me to this. All I want to do is kill Christians, but God called me to this. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand. Through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. How did he promise beforehand? What do we know in the Holy Scriptures, the Old Testament, about Christ, about, about Christ, about, about God promising Christ? That's the very first one. All through, if you just have an eye to see, all through the Old Testament, the gospel is being preached all through the Old Testament because the, the Old Testament is concerning Jesus Christ. We take it and we try to make all kinds of rules and regulations out of it. We try to do this, that, well, this happened here, so we're going to do this, and this happened here, and we're going to do this. No. When you go to the Old Testament, you find it in 2 Corinthians, you find it in 1 Corinthians, you find it in Galatians. You go to the Old Testament, you're going there, look for Jesus Christ and the promises concerning him. In type and shadow, uh, the, the tabernacle, every single piece of furniture in the tabernacle, every single was a type and picture of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, even to the point there was no floor in tabernacle because that would, you wouldn't want a type there where people would walk on. The, the floor was dirt, dirt uh, just the ground. Every other, the walls, the, the, the rods, every, we're, we're going to get into all that too, uh, much later on. But every single, every single piece of furniture in tabernacle is a type of Christ. Uh, Noah's Ark, uh, the Ark, is a, it's a picture of Christ. Uh, the whole world went to hell, except those whom God showed grace upon. How were they delivered? They were in uh, in uh, Second Peter, I believe it is, and it tells us they were delivered uh, through the baptism of the water. And go on and on and on, uh, which He promised beforehand through the prophets of the Holy Scriptures. 
concerning his son, who was born a descendant of David according to his flesh, who was declared son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. Verse 5, and we'll stop. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship. We receive grace. Grace is given to us. And we're going to learn a lot more about that. To bring about the obedience of faith among the Gentiles for his name's sake. I want to get, I want to build this word obedience so that we can go on and get away with it, get away from it and go on to other things. But now here, again, just as on the very first verse, Paul brings up the sovereignty of God and the word called. Here he's talking about obedience. If your theology leads you into an area of being disobedient to what God would have for you, for the revealed will of God, then your theology is wrong. And I'm accused of this all the time. We, have, we are being brought into obedience of faith. Obedience of faith and faith of obedience and obedience and faith are all the same thing. It's what God does in our life to sanctify us. The whole, the whole reason for this book is to make you and I like Christ, not only in, in, uh, in heaven, but right now. We want more love. We want more uh, fellowship with one another. We want more compassion. We want more understanding. And God's going to give us all these things. It's going to happen. So many times I have been accused of, 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 of teaching that, that the book of Romans teaches no obedience. You can't just believe something in your head and, and that be right. It's got to work out through your whole body. And Paul, Paul is saying that, yes, this gospel will lead you into obedience. Obedience and faith. I want that understood now, up front. Then we're going to uh, get away from it for a good long time. We're coming back to it in chapter 12. A Christian is going to want to obey the revealed will of God. Now, if he gets off in the Old Testament, it's all fouled up. That's because of his understanding's all fouled up. But his heart's still done. His heart's still done. Now, in obey, obeying God's revealed will does not bring about blessing. That's trap. We're going to see that. You don't obey in order to be blessed. No more than you give to be blessed. But the natural outcome of a Christian's life is going to be one of obedience. Through whom you, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake, among, um, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. I just get through verse 7, and we'll finish that whole paragraph. All who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, we know, uh, I'm not going to get into a lot of things that we already know, just for the sake of getting into it. We know that we're saints. We're saints because uh, we have been, we've been sanctified by God. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. I wanted to get all the way through to Verse 7, if I could, because I want to get as far as I can early in this, this study so that we can stop and spend a lot of time. We'll get over into chapter 3. So, Daniel, thank you for coming over and um, being willing to talk to me a little bit about uh, this sermon that Dad has, that Larry has in Romans 1. Before we uh, talk about the sermon, would you tell the listeners who you are, your relationship to Larry physically? and then go into a little bit your relationship to him um, spiritually and emotionally. Well, um, I am Larry's son-in-law. I married his daughter, Joy. In fact, I met Larry and my wife on the same night at the exact same time. Joy's older brother, John, and I were in band together. He was one year ahead of me, but we were at a Christmas concert 
and John, um, we had become good friends in school and in band, and John wanted to introduce me to his family after the concert, and so we went over and uh, found them, and there was Joy, and of course, um, that was an instant attraction. Looking back, I'm not even sure I looked at Larry, <laughs> um, but I'm sure I was introduced to him uh, nonetheless. So that was sort of the beginning of my um, dealings with the Horton family. That that relationship uh, grew from there um, to where I had a very deep affection for the entire Horton family, not just Joy. Of course, she was the focus, um, always has been. Um, jo John and I have continued to be friends, um, but the whole Horton family has just meant a whole lot to me over the years. And um, of course, a big part of that is Joy, my, uh, my wife. But Larry was, um, he became really a big part of my life. Um, and that would, that would kind of lead into the spiritual side of things. I think it was just a short time after I met Larry that I was invited by Joy to um, a Friday night Bible study that Larry had at um, his mother's house, Gerona. And um, it was a small Bible study, um, but Joy and her friend Stephanie were going regularly, I believe. And so I was invited and uh, I went it wasn't so much that I was interested in the Bible study, but Joy was going to be there, and so um, I went. And uh, I wouldn't. I was not raised in church. Um, I had been in church quite a bit, but not really as a member of any church or denomination. It was mostly Easter and Christmas, that kind of thing. Um, but my grandmother was very interested in uh, the Bible. Is that Sylvia? Sylvia, I'm sorry. Yeah, and so I wasn't I wasn't a member of a church anywhere, but it was in the air, all growing up. I knew the name Jesus. I knew about the cross, in a very superficial way, but it just wasn't much more than that. So I went to the Bible study, and lo and behold, Larry is teaching through Romans, and he had just gotten started. But I show up. And he is in the first chapter, probably starting at verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. Larry spent the entire hour talking about sin and the sinfulness of man, the sinfulness of mankind, whether Jew or Gentile, the whole human race is sinful before God. And then it was over. The Bible study was over. We said, okay, we'll see you next time. No sinner's prayer. There, there was no <laughs> resolve. It was left right there. And um, it was during that hour and the hours immediately following that I had been convinced that that was true of, of me also. I, I am a sinner. Um, I'm not the goody two-shoes that I previously thought I was. My sister was the rebel of the family. I was the good little boy. But hearing Larry teach through those first uh, verses concerning the sinfulness of man and the wrath of God convinced me that I was a sinner and guilty. 
and deserving of hell. And because there was no resolve at that Bible study, I needed, I, I needed the next thing. I needed the gospel. And so the questions began and the relationship between me and Larry really began at that point. And um, I had questions. Joy did the best that she could to answer my questions. But it, it ended up ultimately that um, I was invited over to the house to talk to Larry and ask questions. And what that, what that turned into was many, many, many nights staying up way past everybody's bedtime. Larry very generously answering these dumb questions um, or immature questions, maybe he's better. Um, he was always so very generous with that. And one thing I remember him saying early on was, if you want, if you want your questions answered, read Romans and then read John's gospel and then read Romans and then read John's gospel back and forth. And over time, those questions that you have will start to be more clear or be made clear. And so I, I, I started in John's gospel one night and it, something changed. I, 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 don't, it, I don't know exactly in what way um, precisely it, it wasn't an extraordinary event, I wouldn't say. But before that night, when I would read the Bible, it, I was just reading any, any other book. Um, but there was a definite change when it wasn't that the Bible all of a sudden started to make sense to me. It wasn't that. It's that I cared what it said. And um, that, was, that was the beginning. So when you say you cared what it said, what you're essentially saying is this is something I should submit to. This matters. What it says has implications for my life. That's right. How extraordinary. How extraordinary. I think about hearing comes by the Word of God, or believing comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God, and that's what Larry, and that's the means that God used for you to hear the Word of God. And... And it's so cool that you, just reading it, God laid it on your heart that there's a problem. You, you have a problem, mm -hmm. and Christ is the solution. I wanted to ask you, now you said that you, when you grew up, you, just, you had church in the air, nothing specific. So were you fighting any of the Armenian objections, or did you just not know enough about Armenianism? No, no, it was not at all deep enough. What any previous experience was not nearly deep enough to even get that far. Okay. So when when Larry came to the, those portions of Romans, when election and being dead, there wasn't anything that you had to battle against in your own mind. You, you just heard it, and it made sense. No. Um, it, in fact, it wasn't even Larry that, that started that fight in my head. I, I did fight it. Um, it, was, it was joy that um, early on in our relationship, really before Larry got a hold of me, before I had gotten to spend any time with Larry, very early on, you know, Joy was doing the best she could to um, help me understand some things. And she very casually, almost in passing, said, God hates people. <laughs> and of course, being the superficial Americanized Christianity that I was exposed to, no, God loves everybody. 
And she said, no, Daniel, that's not true. Um, read Romans 9. And I read Romans 9, um, and, well, there it is. Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. What do I do with that? Because I've been told my whole life, uh, mainly by my grandmother, you know, and, and the superficial churches that we went to, that God loves everybody, so I don't know what to do with this, so I call Grandma. You know, she had been exposed to very superficial teaching as well, and so she was no help at all. And so that's that's really kind of the, the beginnings of me asking about these things, um, needing needing an answer to these things, and Joy doing the best she could, but then saying, hey, why don't you come talk to my dad? And so that was kind of the beginning of that. And how long do you think from the time that you had questions till the time that you had completely submitted yourself to God's Word? Not that you understood it all, but you, that the truth of the, of the gospel was revealed to you and you, you knew that that was the case. Do you remember? Well, I guess to some degree still fighting that, you know. Um, there's, we all, we all have... Um, areas of, of unbelief or disbelief that we struggle with. Um, I think that's, that, that is the reason we still sin, is because we yeah. have not yet fully submitted. Yes. But on a lesser scale, I suppose, um, when Larry made it clear to me the importance of being biblical, of, of staying biblical, and he would answer my questions, and I'd go away and think about it and read something, read a commentary or a scripture, and think about it some more, and come up with more questions. I'd go to Larry, and that cycle just almost was never-ending um, until he died. But I remember very early on wrestling with the whole free will issue, and I had submitted to to the to the fact that fallen man is um, in bondage to his sinful will. That made perfect sense to me after after it was explained, after it was uh, shown to me in Scripture. But I wanted to I wanted to keep thinking ab about before the fall and Adam. What what was his state before the fall? Um, was it was it a genuine choice that was given to Adam, and and he had free will to either choose to uh, trust God, obey God, or disobey? And I was asking Larry about that, and he says, "Well, the Bible doesn't say that, Daniel. The Bible doesn't say that Adam had free will before the fall." And I wanted to keep arguing. Well, it doesn't it doesn't say that, but that makes sense, though, right? And he says, it doesn't say that. The Bible does not say that Adam had free will or that he didn't have free will. And I wanted to keep arguing. But logically speaking, Larry, the, the, that, that had to be. And he said, that may be, Daniel, but the Bible doesn't say that. And so whatever conclusion you come to there is conjecture. And it needs to be understood as merely conjecture and it cannot be stated with the same kind of authority as you can say, Adam sinned. That you can say with authority. Adam sinned because the Bible clearly tells us that he sinned. But 
on something that the Bible doesn't speak of, be careful. Well, in, in his sermons my entire life, I was probably the only eight-year-old in Oklahoma that knew what the word dogmatic meant because he always distinguished. He would always say, if, if something he was about to say was not scriptural, he would say, I'm not going to be dogmatic about this. Because he, that to your point, he knew that he could only say with surety what the Bible teaches. But then he had other opinions about the Bible, but he would always preface it with, this is not dogmatic. This is just my opinion. Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah, he always made a very clear distinction. And that, that continued on. Um, it, it has continued on in my life, the importance of being biblical. Um, it's, I would say, increasingly so. When I find myself off in an area where I can't make a case for, for what it is that I'm trying to say using the Bible, it's better to just not say it. For someone who has trouble controlling their mouth, <laughs> that's hard, but it's, it's vital. It must needs be. We only go as far as the Bible goes and no further. Correct. And I did, I wanted to clarify, so all this reading the Bible and your questioning, that was all while you were in high school, right? And, and after. Really the tail end of high school, I would say junior and senior year. But then in my adult life, uh, very early on, I went to work for Larry um, in his trade in construction. We got to spend an awful lot of time together. It was an amazing time. I look back at those years as some of the best years of my life, the most precious years of my life. Larry did a lot of out-of-town work, and so I would drive to his house early Monday morning, drop off my car, we'd get into his van, and we'd have a long two or three hour drive somewhere to the job site. And this would happen week after week after week after week for, for months and, and years, really. Um, he and I were working side by side, really for seven years straight in that way. Some of, some of it was in town work, but a lot of it was out of town work. And so we'd have this long two or three hour drive where we'd, we would do nothing but talk theology. And we'd finally get to the job site and we'd unload the truck and get ready and go into the job site and work a bit. But when we were working, it was Larry and I working. It wasn't that we were on a big crew and had other guys around with different conversations. It was just me and Larry. And so we would work for two, two and a half hours, take a break and sit and talk theology, go back to work. Now it's lunchtime. We'd sit and eat our lunches and talk theology. Afternoon break, we'd talk theology. Then we'd load up and go to the motel room and all night long talk theology. And then Seinfeld would come on and we'd watch Seinfeld. Wow, I didn't even know that. I, I didn't know that it was that uh, close of a bond and that you, could, you filled all those hours with theology. It's wonderful. It was. Um, I look back on those times with a great deal of fondness. And talking about your grandmother, now tell the listeners, where did your grandmother end up going to church? At Larry's church. And, and so she, she sat, both your grandmother and your grandpa, your mom, your uncle, Anybody else in your family? Oh, my dad. And your dad all ended up sitting under Larry's teaching That's for right. many years. That's right, yeah. We, well, I came to what Larry would 
call the doctrines of grace. Um, I think at that time I was calling them the five points of Calvinism, but since then have um, come off of that and would prefer to talk about the doctrines of grace um, just because of all the baggage that comes along with five points of Calvinism. But I was in a very immature way trying to present these truths to my parents. And as is often the case, it was met with resistance. And so we argued probably for several months, I would say. And then one evening, my dad had bought a new personal computer, set it up, got it working, and it was so new that you could, uh, you could make a phone call from your computer. Mm-hmm. It, it, would, it was just unheard of. For, for us, um, but dad wanted to try it out, and so he called Larry and Linda's house <laughs> as, the, as the phone call test, and um, that phone conversation turned into probably a two-hour phone conversation, and my dad asking Larry questions, Larry answering those questions, um, mom would get in the conversation, and at the end of it, uh, Larry said, well, look, why don't we just get together for a, a Bible study and we can go over these things in more detail? And so it was agreed. And so we started a Bible study, another, a different Friday night Bible study over at my parents' house. And my grandmother and grandfather came. And um, at, at the beginning, it was very small, but others came after, after a little while, and we just we went through the five points, doctrines of grace. And um, I remember, I think it might have been the very first Bible study. If it wasn't the first, it was one of the very first. Larry said, now look, I have started Bible studies in the past, and without exception, every single time we start a Bible study, we get months or years into it, and somebody in the Bible study gets the bright idea, hey, let's start a church. And Larry said, under no circumstance are we starting a church. This is just a Bible study. And so I think everybody thought that was a little from out, out you know, left field. But sure enough, it wasn't, it wasn't very long. My grandmother, I think, was the one suggested we need, we need to start a church. We all need a, a church home. And so Larry relented, and we started uh, New Covenant Bible Church. Later on, we joined an existing church, and that's where you're, you're teaching now, at New Covenant Bible Church. Yep. We, we actually joined, it, it was three very small congregations that joined together into what is now New Covenant Bible Church. And I want to tell you two things. So when you started teaching... Many years later, you know, De- Larry brought you to uh, the gospel of grace and then uh, mentored you to the point where you actually started preaching at our church. Uh, I remember telling you after the sermon that your maybe your second or third sermon, I remember saying, hey, Daniel, um, I want to tell you something. I am so thankful that you are doing this because I know my dad's not going to be around forever. And I remember cheering up and I just remember thinking, you know, everything that dad has ever said, I'm hearing it from you as well. And it's of great comfort to me because, 
you know, who's going to continue on. And, and then the second thing I wanted to tell you is I always knew that you would do just fine. There was never any question about is, I mean, you like all that time that you spent with Larry and the Lord revealing himself to you in your teaching, it was all wonderful. And then you made an analogy and I don't remember how long this was into your teaching. You said to tell somebody in a swimming pool to go about the business of getting wet is as absurd as to tell to put the Christian under law. And I just thought, yes, he gets it. He gets it. I'm like, it's not like you didn't get it, but I'm like, yes, that's the perfect analogy. Go about, you tell somebody in a swimming pool to go about the business of getting wet. And the person in the swimming pool is going to look at you and say, I am wet. I'm surrounded by wet. What are you talking about? Uh, so that was that was interesting. Uh, you know, I just love how it continues on. It's, it's important to me. Um, it's important to me, not just because of Larry, but because of our Lord. Um, there, there is one gospel, and the message of that gospel is one thing, and that, was, that, that really was Larry's ministry. Do not vary. Do not, um, I don't know what the word is. Do, deviate? Deviate. Do not deviate in any way. That's central. That's central to what I'm attempting to do. You know, it, it's, it's not the easiest thing in the world when um, so many have deviated. And it's almost like Christianity is being presented as, you know, a smorgasbord. You just take whatever you like and leave behind what you don't like. And that's, that's just not Christianity. You gotta, you gotta take all of it, even the part that you don't like. And often that's uh, that, that you are a sinner and you deserve God's wrath. Um, everybody wants the, the kind and friendly, gentle Jesus without the forgiveness part. Without the accountability, because we all want a God, but we want a God that we can live with, not a God that is the God of the Bible, that is holy. Yep. And it, Jesus said, if you love me, you love my commandments. You will keep my commandments. And, you know, for somebody that was brought up under Larry's teaching, um, that's a hard thing to hear our Lord say, because Larry was very much about getting the legalist to get out from underneath the law for righteousness. And many of his students, including me, took Larry's teaching too far and came to a place where I have no need for the law. Get the law as far away from me as I possibly can. And that's wrong, of course, and that's certainly not what Larry taught. But one thing Larry did say about his own ministry was he always thought that he was getting it right when people would accuse him of being an antinomian, of being against the law, of, of, of having no use for the law. He thought, I, I've just about got this right if that's what I'm being accused of. Um, he was not an antinomian, but he wanted his students, those that were um, his, his congregants, to understand that for righteousness, the law has no part. The law has no part in that. And um, he was he was very strong in that teaching, and it it's it was he said it was usually the case that his students would take it too far. Um, but 
because they were believers, uh, they would come back around and learn to love his law, learn to love Christ's commandments. Yeah, there's a freedom in that. It, ironically, there's a freedom in, in the law because it is, is, it's so right and it's, it's fun to know about it, to understand it when all the pressure to follow it is not there. That's when you can really uh, delight. Yeah. I heard someone say recently that the people have a misunderstanding of freedom, that that means from any, from any kind of structure or requirements or anything like that. Well, what that, what that is, is chaos. Without some form of structure, you have chaos. And so you, you truly are in bondage. You, okay, you're free to do whatever you want to do. Uh, yes, that in itself is bondage. That is bondage. And so the law is not for our bondage. It's to provide the Christian with a structure in which to be free. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. And that circles back around to what I, what I wanted to bring up uh, specifically for this sermon was the Paul being a bondservant, I loved that he explained, Larry explained, that the bondservant is somebody who chooses to be under the protection and the care and the service of his master by choice. And then it got me thinking, we're not truly free. No person is truly free. It's a matter of who, who you're serving. So I, I am a bondservant, but I'm serving the creator of the universe who calls me his friend. The lost person is still a bondservant, but he's a bondservant to chaos, to his own sinfulness, to his own desires, his own flesh, his wickedness. That's what he's a slave to. That's exactly right. Yeah. And I, and I also enjoyed the part where Larry talked about being set apart. And didn't you like the, the marbles and the baseball? Because that, that is so true. It's not enough that you give something up. It's what you're, what you're turning away from is not as important as what you're going towards. He didn't have to fight the urge to stop playing marbles because the baseball urge was so great. The baseball activity was so much fun that, of course, I don't want to play marbles anymore. Yep, yep, yep. And, and that's the job of a good preacher is to um, present Christ in all his beauty so that the sinner desires better things. Very well said. Exactly. Well, thank you, Daniel. I, I so enjoyed hearing that. I mean, I knew some of it, but... Uh, the whole picture about uh, how you came to, to learn the, the grace of God and, and how God saved you, especially as such a young kid, you know, I, I think that's wonderful. And I appreciate you. I appreciate you being um, my pastor. I'm so blessed, and we all are, because you're there every week uh, proclaiming the good news of the gospel. Well, as Larry would say, it's funner than playing ping pong. He did say that. <laughs> He did. Well, thanks again. Thank you for listening to the Timeless Gospel Podcast. 